0: The following audio is from Sandhills Community Church. More information about Sandhills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. We are in the midst of a political season that will last uh, for some time. And so one of the things you get with a political season is you end up with uh, debates. How many of you like to watch political debates? Anybody put your hands up? You guys okay? Ten of you, twelve of you. All right. So um, I like to do the highlights. I don't like the. Uh, I don't know that I want to sit through the whole thing, but I like to watch the highlights. Um, so here's here's what I've noticed about debates. Uh, in a in a political debate with all the candidates standing there, you get very little of here's what I can do for the country. You get a whole lot of what. Condemnation, sarcasm, put downs. So, I mean, like that's what they spend most of their time doing. This is why this candidate's horrible. This is why this candidate's horrible. I'm better. No, you're no, you're stinking. You're bad. Like that's what they. So really, we end up electing to lead our country the person who's the best at putting others down. That's messed up. That is so messed up. Now, listen, I know, I know, and hopefully us as Christians who, you know, have our eyes open to issues that we're, we're electing the people we think are going to be best in office, going to support policies we think are going to be good. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a weird system. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather spend a whole time listening to a debate about the good things people do rather than why you think everybody else is stupid. Uh, but that's just, that's just how it is. So it's funny because it reminds me of what we're studying right now in 2 Corinthians, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles handy or a device, turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you uh, get to this point where, and I've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where the Apostle Paul is in the midst of a debate. He doesn't want to be. This would be like, I would say, it's like the apostolic primary. That's what he stepped into. And, uh, and in his case, he is the reluctant candidate. He's the reluctant, like he has been sucked into something he does not want to participate in. So the apostle Paul, along with some others, planted the church in Corinth. So in Greece, they started this church. Uh, church was going great. And then after Paul rolled out of town, some other people came in and literally said, here's why you should listen to us and not listen to Paul. All right, so they came in and they did the put down game. You don't listen to that guy. He's not, you know, You don't. we know what we're talking about. We're better. That guy's nothing. You don't want to listen to him. And, and part of the evidence they would use to articulate that is, Look at how blessed we are. And the Corinthians, when they looked at this, they thought, you've got uh, a, a title, you've got degrees, you've got influence, people are recommending you, and when you speak, you speak forcefully, you speak elegantly. When Paul's here, Paul, he's he's meek. He's not a great speaker. Uh, he teaches. Uh, it's not really inspirational, perhaps. He uh, doesn't have uh, maybe some of the clout that you guys seem to have, and his life is wrought with difficulty, which seems to indicate that maybe God's not on his side, right? But you guys, you seem to have everything going, so we're gonna, we like you. And so now Paul has been drawn into this where he has to defend himself. And if you remember uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, a couple of weeks ago, he says this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Please do bear with me. Now, when he says that, here's what he's saying. It's like, listen, if you want me to enter into this debate and we're gonna do this that way, then you just have to know, I think this is foolish, But okay, if that's what you want, then put up with some foolishness because I'm going to talk to you just like you need to hear. So this is where he goes, and he spent time talking about that in the first part of chapter 11. He will continue on in the second part of chapter 11. So now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Few gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. All right, now Paul loves sarcasm, and you can just hear it dripping. Actually, before we're done, it's going to get like worse, right? But he is just using sarcasm to try and teach him a lesson. And he is continuing to repeat this idea of you guys are missing what is most important in the kingdom of God. You really don't understand. But because this is the language they speak, he's actually going to do this. And it is odd because here's Paul who is just, he has suffered so much. He was literally called by Jesus Christ, like like Jesus himself appointed Paul as an apostle. That should be some pretty good credibility, right? None, None of these other people can say that. And yet, he been through a lot of hard times, and doesn't seem like maybe God's hand of blessing is on him, and, and you know, he, when he speaks, he's, ah, you know, so these other guys, they're so much better, and so these people are putting their faith in these other people rather than Paul. Paul would never evaluate himself by the standards they're applying to him, nor would he evaluate anybody else or counsel anybody to evaluate people that way, um, but that's what he's doing. And I'll tell you, in a weird kind of way, it reminds me of college. So uh, when I was in college, and I'd be talking with my, my friends, um, of course, we were like normal college guys we were checking out the women on campus right and uh and so uh, first evaluation totally on looks right and so and guys would you know like man she looks so awesome i'm going to go ask her out right and girls are doing the same thing oh look at that guy over there he looks amazing i want to go out with him all right listen if you're choosing who you want to go out with just based on their external appearance you could not be more superficial and now listen i now I want you to be attracted to, to people, and you may use that as an excuse to find out what other reasons why you want to go out with that person. I get it. Um, but, you know, it is, if you choose to go out with somebody, or if you choose to marry somebody just based on what they look like, oh, man, that's a, that is a bad way to choose a spouse, right? That's a bad way to choose a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, because all you're deal- dealing with is the externals. And that, that was the problem with these people, is that the people that were speaking, they look good, they spoke well. They had money. They are like, these are, these are the kind of people we want teaching us, not this Paul guy. And so Paul's like, okay, if I, if I have to bring credentials, I'm going to bring credentials. But then he says this in verse 17, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. So I love this guy. He makes this comment like, I'm not saying God told me to talk like this. I'm going to do it because you apparently, you like it when people speak to you in a foolish kind of way. So let me bring some foolish kind of things that you value. Let me bring some of that superficiality that you value so that I can authenticate the idea that I'm a messenger of God. Verse 18, he says, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Boast according to the flesh. Now, I love that. That means there are things the world values. And then when we boast about those things, people love it. But they're not necessarily things the Lord values. So um, there's something about this. So I'm a fan of the NFL. Do we have any people that love the NFL here? People love the NFL, right? Kansas City Chiefs, World Champions, right. So um, as, as we think about the NFL, one of the things that I've never liked in the NFL is um, when a player scores a touchdown and after he scores a touchdown, he does this, right? Now, what's he saying? Look how awesome I am. Look at this. Look how amazing I am. So now I'm, I'm sitting there as an observer watching this and I'm thinking, okay. If I could have a moment with this young man, Uh, I'd like to talk about a few things. First of all, how did you get there? Like, like, who designed the play that allowed that to happen? What other players had to fulfill their assignments so that that could happen, right? Who hired you? Who pays you? Who's been teaching you and training you? Is this really this? That's not at all. Talk about missing the big picture. It's It's not about an individual, it's about a team. And so when we look, like about how we elevate and how we value and stuff, it is never one individual that is so amazing that does this thing. There's another power behind the scenes that makes it all happen. That's what Paul's trying to say. Because you, you, can, you can tout somebody up here that's got all these skills and you want to recognize them. Like, listen, the only reason I'm anything is because God is everything. It's not, a, it's not about me. It's not about the individual. A, there's a, something bigger going on. That's what he wants to take them back to, to think through this. Um, but, but he's going to... He's going to do it. Like, if you need to hear me talk and you need to hear me brag, I'm, I'm going to brag because, because I'll have to. But this is what really bothers Paul, I think, is the fact that things the world values have become things that the Corinthian church values. And so the Corinthian church now is evaluating people based on worldly values. That bothers Paul. Um, a few years ago, I was uh, talking to a fellow. I met him in another town. We were having a conversation. And um, we were kind of stuck beside each other for a while. And as we were sitting there talking... Uh, he told me he goes to church. And so I started asking questions, like, tell me about your church and tell me about your pastor and tell me what you're learning. And, and we got into a conversation about salvation. And uh, as we we're sitting there talking, I just I said, well, let me, let me ask you a question. Like, how does somebody know they're going to heaven? And uh, he said, well, yeah, Jesus died for all people, and therefore all people go to heaven. And I was like, okay, so I said, let me, let me just ask you a point of clarity here. Are you saying that because Jesus came to this earth, born, died, resurrected, that everybody is automatically good no matter what, no matter what religion, no matter how they live, that all those people are going to heaven? He said, yeah, that's exactly what I'd say. I was like, okay. I said, well, let me share with you what I understand to be true about Scripture. Uh, That is that because of the fall of mankind, that we are all born into this world corrupt and sinful, and we all need to be forgiven. And so there comes a point in our lives where all of us have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We have to submit ourselves fully to him. And I remember a time when I did that. I remember a time when, when I just prayed and I told the Lord. I said, Lord, I believe in you. I believe you're the, you're the savior of the universe. And I want you to be my Lord in charge of my life. And in, in following you, I'm going to repent of the sin that I've been doing. And I'm going to start walking in a way that you've articulated in scripture. And the best I can, I'm going to follow you. But I'm trusting in you to be my savior. And at the end of this life, I hope to appear before you in front of your throne so that I can kneel before you and acknowledge you as my Lord. And so I shared this with him and he said, well, he said, you know, you've intrigued me. He said, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go back and talk to my pastor about that and then I'll follow up with you. And he did, we exchanged uh, contact information and he followed up with me later. He said, uh, okay, listen, I went back and I talked to my pastor and he said, you're wrong. I was like, what? He said, well, here's the thing. He said, my pastor's a graduate of Duke Seminary and you went someplace I've never even heard of. And he says, so I'm just going to put my faith in that. Okay, so here, it's like, I'm, it's like ah, in the church, I've got to deal with this? Like, I can't even get a, an understanding of the gospel in a church context? Like, that just grieves me. Like, these are people that should know better, right? And so uh, when Paul's wrestling with this, like, in the church, we should know better. There's a different set of rules. It's pretty clear in Scripture. How are we, how are we messing this thing up? We, You know, we've got to learn to speak the language that people need to hear, and that's this should be different in the church. Verse 20, he says this. For you bear it if somebody makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. Wow. So here's what he's saying now. He says, you're letting these other ministers exploit you. Now, I don't know if you know this, that all around the world today, and even all around Colombia today, there are certain types of churches where the ministers who lead the church expect to be elevated by the congregation. You know that? They, they expect special favors and privileges, uh, cash gifts spontaneously given. They expect people to pick up their dry cleaning, to wash their cars, uh, to acknowledge them in a particular way. Like, I'm not even making this up. You guys know this exists, right? That there are churches out there where the leaders of those churches expect to be elevated by the congregation. Uh, that's wrong. Hey, we, do, we do elevate we elevate Jesus. Other than that, the rest of us are servants, right? And listen, I'm not against acknowledging ministers as, you know, thank you for serving the Lord. I've been blessed by you. Like, that's great. Um, but when it comes to a disproportionate elevation, that's a problem. So this is what Paul's saying. He says, what, what are you letting these people do to you? They're treating you as inferior. Maybe even, and I don't know if this is a metaphor or if he means this literally, like striking them, like a superior would do to an inferior in their day and age, you know, smack them around, literally. Like, you're letting them do this to you. They're treating you like garbage, and you're enjoying it. You're embracing it. You're submitting yourselves to that. What are you doing? They're taking advantage of you. And then I love this in verse 21. Look what he says in verse 21. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Like, I I just need to apologize to you guys. I'm so sorry we didn't smack you around. I'm sorry we didn't take advantage of you. We were too weak for that. That's our bad. Like, you know, he's using irony here. He's like, you guys hear this? Like, why in the world would you allow somebody to treat you that way? We wouldn't have treated you that way. We never treated you that way. And then the second part of verse 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. And so now he says, he says, okay, you need some boasting. I'm going to bring you some boasting, but I just want you to know, before we get going here, I feel like a fool for having to do this. You know, I'm reminded as I, I read about Paul, <laughs> I think about Paul, and I think about the apostles these great heroes of faith, and even in my own life, heroes of faith that I've had in my own life, and you probably have some too, people you really admire, people you look up to, people who've really influenced you. Like when you think about them, did, would the world value them like you view, value them? Are they going to be in talk shows? Are they going to be running the country? Are they going to be... Not, not normally. Like the people I, I value, they're, they're humble of heart. And, and some of them have been leaders, but they're a different kind of leader. Like they really, they love Jesus Uh, They're legitimate. They follow him even if people are looking or they aren't looking. When they suffer, they don't turn on God. They turn toward God. Like these people that become models for us, heroes to me in my own life and probably heroes in your life. But we realize the world has a set of categories that as a Christian, they just don't line up. They're different. I, I have a different value. We should have a different value. But but Paul gives this point in verse twenty two, and he's about to boast. Uh, in essence, this is his time where he's saying, "Hey, vote for me. I'm the man. Vote for Paul." Uh, verse twenty two. Let's let's look at what he says here. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. What? Like th- like this is that moment when you should pull back and go, "What did you just say?" Like. He's, he's trying to push them to a point where they finally get provoked, where one of them stands up and says, that's not right, so that he can say, aha, it's not right. You're putting your value in the wrong things, right? But, but he's, he's pushing them, trying to get them to understand this. Uh, so here he is doing this unrighteous boasting, and he ties in initially to his heritage. Now, when it comes to heritage, one thing you need to know about the Jewish people is they've always been a very proud people. In fact, if you went to a Jewish person today, probably... Uh, and and said to them, do you think that when you die, you will be in the presence of God in paradise forever? They will probably say yes. And then if you ask them why, what do you think they'll respond? Because I'm Jewish. Part of the chosen people of God. Like you Gentiles, good luck with that. I am part of the chosen people of God. Like I'm good to go. All right, so let me pause there for a moment. Let's think about like a, a Disney type of situation where you've got a king and uh, he's riding through uh, a poor village on his nice white steed, you know. And as, he, as he's riding through this village, he notices uh, this impoverished woman. Uh, but she, she has kind of this un, unnatural beauty about her. And he's drawn to her superficially, of course, at first. Uh, but then he gets to know her, and he finds out, man, this is, this is a wonderful woman. And so they fall in love, and they marry, and then she becomes a queen. And so she goes from, you know... This goes from a, a woman who, before she even tasted of wealth, was full of poverty, but now has made a full transformation. And so when she steps into this position, is acknowledged as queen, now lives in a, a royal palace, has privileges she's never had before. Like, she lives so grateful for what has happened in her life. Like, she can't. But she knows she doesn't deserve it, and now she's experiencing the, uh, the aspects of royalty. But the children, the children are born into privilege. They're born into titles. They're born into wealth. They're they're born into a position where not only do they view themselves as important, but they believe others should view them as important as well. It's what we call in titles. you have born into a position that now you think you deserve. So here's a couple of lessons I think that I've learned in life. One is suffering teaches gratefulness. So like in that illustration, that woman's going to be grateful the rest of her life. I would remind us of that too. Suffering Produces gratefulness. I mean, that is when you've been through really hard times and then you get on the other side of those, you are so grateful. Grateful that God brought you through, grateful that things aren't like they used to be, right? In fact, isn't that a lesson we want to teach our kids? Don't we tell your kids, don't you tell your kids, suffering's good for you? Do you ever tell them that? You should, right? (laughs) Suffering's good for you. You need to experience some suffering, give you a little perspective in life, let you know how a lot of other people live. And then finally, when you do have some privileges and some opportunities, you can be grateful. Grateful for what God has done for you. So I I do think that suffering can produce or at least teach gratefulness. But I'm also reminded of this, that that privilege can teach, doesn't always teach, privilege can teach entitlement. That you go to this point where you feel like, oh, I deserve this. Uh, Don't we complain to God a lot? Lord, life should not be this hard. I am a faithful servant of yours. How can things like this keep happening to me? Entitled. I deserve Do we? Do we deserve? When I look at the life of Christ, it's all sorts of things he deserved. Who am I called to imitate? You know, life doesn't work that way. And so the people of God thing, this idea that, that I am good with God by association, that's entitlement and it's not real. Uh, that's not how that works. You're, you're never saved based on association. I, over the years, I've asked a lot of people about if they know they're going to heaven or not. And I've had people give me some weird answers. I had a guy tell me one time, I know I'm going to heaven uh, because my dad was a preacher. Well, good luck with that at the throne of God. <laughs> that's, that's not how that works. You don't get in because of somebody else. That doesn't work that I, Other people tell me, oh, I'm going to heaven because I go to church. How many times do you have to go to church? Does God keep attendance? Like, when do I get my gold star? Can I just go to Like, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Hey, I'm Jewish. I'm going to heaven. I'm Catholic. I'm going to heaven. I'm a gamecock. I'm going to heaven. Like, okay, I haven't actually heard that last one, but I just, you know, throwing that in there. But, you know, all these things that we put our value in, like, that's not how this works. It works a completely different way. And so when he goes through this, he says, Are they Hebrews? I'm a Hebrew. You know, part of the nation of the Hebrews. And are they Israelites? I'm an Israelite. Talking about the, the name flip that went on with Jacob, how they entered into a religious kind of covenant community. And then he cites, Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. I'm offspring of Abraham. You know, I, I'm a better servant of Christ. He does all these things to try to connect. But all the time he's trying to say, this is foolish. Like these aren't things we're actually banking on. Not even his service of Christ is something he's banking on. It is Jesus himself who's rescued him and he knows that. And that's what he wants them to understand. And so then and we can even say this, that here's how I know Paul has a great understanding of what really goes on is because he told us more in other books. Like when you get to the book of Romans, uh, one of the, the lamentations he has is that the the Jewish people have not turned fully to Christ and this breaks his heart. And he makes this comment in Romans 9. It's not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Uh, Let me follow up with another one from uh, Galatians. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so, what Paul is saying here is like, we can brag all we want about stuff, but you know what? Ultimately, it comes down to those who really have understood and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord. Those are the ones who are now children of promise. Those are the real children of Abraham. And so Jew, Gentile, at some point, that's irrelevant. What's really relevant is, uh, are you following Christ or not? I, I will even say this. So a few years ago, we had somebody in our congregation who is Jewish, who's following the Lord. And, uh, and somebody made a comment in here to them who was not Jewish and said, wow, you know, how lucky you are. Because not only do you love Jesus, but you're actually Jewish. Okay, listen that. It doesn't mean anything. Just the Jesus part is what means something. Where you're from, who you are, like, like, that's, just, that's just your history. Um, following Jesus is everything. Those with faith in Christ. And then, so Paul goes on and he says, okay, if we need to keep boasting, let me keep boasting here. Uh, verse uh, 23, we'll pick back up with that. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Uh, Let me just talk about that one for a second. Um, There's a comment made in the book of Deuteronomy. We'll put it up here for you. If there's a dispute between men and they come into the court and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten uh, in his presence with 40 stripes, may he be given him, but not more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. All right, so they believed if you were guilty of something, you could be whipped up to 40 times, but not more than 40 because that would be degrading. And so the Jewish people wanting to be kind, they backed it up one just to make sure they didn't get to 40. So 39 times became the deal. So that's what they did so as not to humiliate. And so he says this, like five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Five times he was beaten with 39 whips. I mean, strikes. You know, that, that's horrible. But this does remind us of something Jesus said. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. That is that the, the Christians, from people who think they're right, We'll be arrested and we'll be beaten and we'll be whipped. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. And ironically, that's probably the kind of stuff that Paul used to do to Christians when he was persecuting them before Jesus radically changed his life. So now Paul has these things that are, that are happening to him. And then he goes on to say this. Uh, verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So he's saying, listen, like I, I carry this burden It's not just external that I've born in my body. It's this internal desire to see people walk with God. Like, this is is my struggle. I'm suffering externally, I'm suffering internally, and I'm doing it all because of my love of the Lord and the truth of the gospel. And then he gets to this part in verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who's made to fall and I am not indignant? And I love this idea of, there's nobody that's ever gonna say that they're weak that I can't identify with. And Paul would understand with a weak faith historically, but then he would understand weakness physically because of all that he's been through. But then he twists the phrase a little bit. Then he says, Who's made to fall? And I'm not indignant. So what he's saying is, And when I see God's people fall, that makes me angry. I really get angry. And he doesn't say who's angry at. I assume he's not too angry at the people that fall, though maybe a little bit because he's certainly being sarcastic with them. But I think his anger really is directed at those who've led them to fall. That's the same. He's like, When I see people who've led you astray, that just makes me angry. I get so frustrated by that. And then he says this. Look at verse 30. This is weird. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So in his closing remarks here, he, he makes this odd boast. Like, look how weak I am. I'm so weak I actually had to hide and run from somebody. They lowered me in a basket. I mean, how humiliating is that? So here he is. He, he takes this time to boast about his weaknesses. That would be an interesting journey for politicians. I would like to hear that one. You know, when a politician gets up to debate and they say, let me tell you something. I don't know that I've got an enemy to do this. This job's bigger than I am. Well, how do you think? You think that person's going to get elected? But they'd be right, wouldn't they? Like, I can't do this unless I've got an army of people behind me. I'm going to have to have great counsel, great advisors. I, there's no way I have this in myself to do this. I'm like, I would love to hear that kind of humility. Um, unfortunately, I don't think they get elected. Uh, but I would love to hear that kind of humility. But it does seem like an odd boast. So here's the question. Why does he boast like that? What, what is Paul trying to say? Why would, he, why would he say, look at all these sufferings I've been through. Why would he boast in that way? And here's what I think. Actually, after the first service said it, somebody come back and he said, I've got an illustration for you, Pastor, and so I'll just share with you what he shared with me. Uh, When we go through weaknesses and suffering and difficulty, it's like this this opposing ends of a scale type thing, that that when we go through difficulty, it allows God to be elevated. But when we begin to elevate ourselves, God is diminished. And so the question is, who do you want to be elevated in your life? Do you want the Lord to be elevated? Or do you want yourself to be elevated? Let's be honest. We actually do want ourselves to be elevated. (laughs) We we do. That's kind of how we're wired. But when we really think about it, as people who've been redeemed and forgiven by Jesus, people who've been invited to have a relationship with God through his sacrifice, in in the purest of thoughts, we think, Lord, I I don't want to be elevated. I want you to be elevated. All right, well, then if that's the case, then we have to submit ourselves and allow our weaknesses to come forth. And I would even say this, that my weakness is God's strength. God will use my weaknesses for his glory. My weakness is God's strength. That's why Paul can boast. Paul says, look at how nothing I am. What's his real message? Look at how amazing God is. That's his message. Now, what what would have happened if Paul would have become you know, uh, eloquent speaker. Wanted to. Everybody wants to hear him. He's speaking all over the Roman Empire. He's, you know, he's like the super pastor, right? Uh, writes all these. Well, back in those days, scrolls. Uh, does all these conferences. Uh, people are paying him all this kind of money. Uh, he becomes super wealthy. Like we would look at that and say success. But what would it be? That's that's the danger with elevating our heroes is that it becomes disproportionate. And when they become elevated, unfortunately, sometimes God gets diminished. So that's why I think Paul pauses. He just wants to acknowledge this. Um, years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. We were processing this a little bit. And uh, I-, I was going through how unfair life seems. It's a thing you wrestle with, right? How unfair life seems. Now, here I am, a follower of God. I'm going through all this stuff. Like you would think that when we give our lives to Jesus, that and there'd be a change in the economy, right? Like, my money would look better. Uh, you know, I would be better. I would be healthier, stronger, you know, less sickness, more things going right, get the job I want, get the job I need, get the affirmation I need. Like, as a Christian, I would expect all those things. And as I was sharing this with a friend of mine, he said, oh, he said, I see the problem. He said, you don't mind if Jesus is resident in your life, but you don't want him to be president of your life. I was like, what? He said, no, you don't mind if he's there. You just don't want him in charge. I was like, hold on a second. He's like, well, didn't you just say, me, 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 I deserve? I was like, oh, dang. You're right. You're absolutely right. And so I would say this. All of us have to come to a point where we really do submit ourselves to the Lord. And when I say submit yourself to the Lord, I mean fully. You know, Lord, I am going through stuff. But you know what? It's okay. I got my eyes on you. I want relief. I want help. And I do trust you'll bring it. But in your time and in your way. And let me just acknowledge this with you, Lord. I don't need to be elevated. You do. And so if what I go through elevates you, then bring it on. But if what I'm going through elevates me, Lord, please allow me to be humbled without being humiliated. Let me pray. Lord, this, uh, this journey that we go on, this journey that, that Paul went on, uh, this is all real, Lord. These, these are wrestlings we have, struggles we have as followers of Christ. That, Lord, we do desire mankind to elevate us, but that's an inappropriate desire. And, Lord, we've got to be careful about who we acknowledge as our heroes, people that we want to elevate, those who speak eloquently and, and look good and, and they make lots of money. And uh, Lord, those don't need to be our heroes. We want heroes that love Jesus. They're sold out to him, people you think are important, not just people we think are important. Lord, there are a number of us in here, and we have been blessed in so many ways. Lord, I pray that we would never think that we get to a point where we have deserved all that we have. What we have is by grace and by your hand. And so we, may we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and put our belief and faith fully in him. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www.sandhillschurch.org.